And we welcome you in to the best podcast available. Jason Gibbs, Andrew Gribble, Nathan Zagura. It's a special edition. It's not the Thursday release. It's a Wednesday release this week. Because why, Nathan? Because it's mock draft season and Wednesday is the first Friday. Or you got a date on Wednesday, baby. You got a date Wednesday, baby. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Jeez. You go away for a few days. We're not together. All hell breaks. Well, it's just a quiet. It was a nice setup, but I had no. I didn't even know it was coming. You know, typically in a pre-production a meeting, you say, "Here, I'm going to tee you up for a, you got a day Wednesday, baby," Absolutely and then you do not. it, and then we do it, and then it looks great. Yeah, we are not teeing anybody up. This is a free for all. <laughs> we are figuring I'm this out. Completely lost on this one too. <laughs> That's big Lebowski. That's Lebowski, baby. Yes, right. indeed, fantastic little flick. Huh. All right, the reason why we're coming to you on Wednesday. Mock Draft 2.0 involving the three of us. Gribble, being the staunch editor that he is, sent us an email on Monday. 2.0, tomorrow. Okay. We did it, and we knocked it out on Tuesday. This is for Wednesday. So we're banking on nothing changing. Hopefully nothing will. But we wanted to go through the top 10 all the way up to the Browns pick at 10, and then the Browns pick at 41 for the rest of the mock draft, which is 11 through 32, and what we think may or may not happen as of March 25th, 2020, you'll have to log on at clevelandbrowns.com. That will be out during the day on Wednesday. Guys, let's get right down to it. Pick number one for, uh, for all three of us is unanimous. Uh, it is Joe Burrow to the Cincinnati Bengals, we really, Gribbs, we don't see Cincinnati trading out of this. There, there was some smoke about this in, in silly season. They're really not going to trade out of this. Day. No, and I think the lack of like pro days and team visits and everything like that is going to eliminate a lot of unnecessary, stupid discussion about the possibility of it not being Joe Burrow at this point. I think all that, that, that stuff would have built up because we were, we would be trying to fill the air with some stuff to talk about. And, you know, at the NFL network would have gone to his pro day and then, but then they would have gone to Tua's pro day. And then, then they would have gone to chase young's pro day and like, Oh, maybe they'll draft a passer. So like, no, the Bengals are going to take Joe Burrow. I think we all agree that's going to happen in the draft to most of us, I believe starts with pick number three, unless there is some doubt at number two. Uh, with with the Washington Redskins. Zagura, uh, number two, uh, I'm looking down our list. We all have Chase Young. And when it comes down to it, Chase Young is the best player in this draft. Yeah, he's the best non-quarterback in the draft. And I think Grimm's made a great point best right there player. about the pro days and the, and the hype that comes around with the pro days and everybody goes bananas. It's the best pro day workout we've ever seen. And so I think you could have had some, maybe some variability with the quarterbacks and at least from a hype standpoint and, and Chase Young, this is the best pro day since Miles Garrett, since Jadavian Clowney and, and all of that type of stuff. So I think that's a good point. Yeah. I think those are the top two picks. I know that Bo and I, throughout the notion that maybe Cincinnati should, you know, make Miami give them five, 18 and a couple of those twos since they have so many twos coming up and then just sign Jameis Winston and, and develop him into your franchise quarterback and have all this talent and why not. But of course that was shot down by everybody uh, listening to the program. Apparently Bo and I are the only people who think Jameis Winston can play in the NFL left uh, in the world, but I digress. I think, yeah, those are the top two. And now the only thing that'd be interesting is if, if Miami can, if Miami is concerned about the Chargers jumping them or if the Chargers want to jump Miami and get to two, then maybe Washington's in play for a trade. Uh, but I think probably the draft's going to end up starting at pick number three. 
we can all agree the draft will start at pick number three. So we both, all three of us have Burrow at one to the Bengals, Chase Young at two to the Redskins, no matter what Washington may float out there uh, between now and draft time, which is one month from now. Um, who knows how things will look uh, landscape wise across this country one month from now, but there will be an NFL draft. We do know that at pick number three, uh, I'm going through all of our lists here. We all have Jeff Okuda to uh, the Detroit Lions from the Ohio State University. Gribs, if, if, if you were a betting man, are the Detroit Lions picking at number three on opening night of the 2020 NFL draft? Yeah, that was the one change I made for my previous mock is that I did have the, the Lions trading back. And I, I think that that pick probably is for sale, just like I think the Giants pick at number four is probably for sale. But I'm just, I think with the lack of information that teams are going to have on Tua going into this draft, that the likelihood of someone trading up to go get him now might not be as likely as I thought it was a month ago. And I think that, that that's why I think the Lions might just end up staying put at that spot. And I think for a team where Matt Patricia is coaching to get in the playoffs this year, they have a big need at cornerback after trading Darius Slay. I just think it makes too much sense. And Okuda is probably one of the safer picks in this draft, and that's why they go with him at that spot. Zagura, yeah. in, in the previous mocks, I mean, he was falling as far as number nine, even out of the top ten. Now he's back up to number three with everything that's happened in free agency. I think the three best players in the draft that are not quarterbacks are, are Chase Young, Jeff Akuda, and Isaiah Simmons. And then, you know, following, as Gribbs pointed out, Darius Slay's departure from Detroit, it makes absolute sense that they would use this to get his replacement in Akuda's a tremendous cornerback prospect. And he goes in there. And, and I do think, you know, the Tua thing, that video, he, he looked good. The video that was released showing him going through the drills, he looked really, really good. But teams are going to want to get information. Like, I just started that Tiger King. I need more information on Joe Exotic. I don't know if I'm going to like what I find just like teams don't know if they're going to like what they find with two from a physical standpoint but they probably will but that's why I think maybe these trades that would happen normally might not this year because if they can't get their hands on them team doctors cannot get their hands on these guys prior to the draft it's going to change some things you're going to you're not going to be able to have that reassurance those medical rechecks that are a huge part of the post combine you know pre-draft process and so I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to see how that plays out and that teams might, in certain cases, play it safe and guys who had maybe a medical red flag might end up falling more on draft day than we expected. I don't think two is going to fall. Let me just say that clearly as the mock will show. But that's just, you know, I think that's a, a part of the changing world as it relates to the 2020 NFL draft. Gribble, fact or fiction, you were going to use a picture of the Tiger King on your top 10 rundown here today. That, that was submitted, though I did also consider uh, the Doc, the other guy uh, from Tiger King. <laughs> Doc. On. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a wild ride that I, I cannot look away from with Tiger King. I'm just. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to finish some every, more of that. Every, every free moment I've had has been devoted to Tiger King. What I like about it is so far its ability, and again, I'm only two episodes in and I'm told that that's the tip of the iceberg and as if only if the iceberg is as big as, big as Mount Everest. But whenever I think that they can't say something crazier or do something that just seems more far-fetched or outrageous, they're just like, do it like it's nothing. Like it's nothing. Anyway, I digress. Maybe somebody will do something like that in the draft, something completely crazy. I don't know. All right, let's go to pick number four. This is where things start to differ a little bit. Uh, Gribble and I both with Makai Becton, the tackle out of Louisville to protect Daniel Jones. Gribbs, 
your reasoning for putting Becton as the number one tackle and not Tristan Wirfs? Uh, it's not a personal preference. I'm just trying to get in Dave Gettleman's head. And I think he's a guy that likes the big hog molly kind of guy. And I think that this is the biggest, meanest uh, physical specimen at the, at the tackle position. And I think that that's going to be hard for him uh, to resist at that spot. I mean, the Giants were all sorts of bad last year. And I think the most disappointing thing was even though you had the Saquon Barkley injury, their, their offense just wasn't very good. And I, I think that, that that it should have been better. And I don't know if you plug in Isaiah Simmons on that team that you're going to feel any better about that team next year. I just think that if you shore up the offensive line, maybe you open up for a big comeback season for Saquon Barkley and he can kind of carry your offense uh, and at least just make that team more presentable next year. Yeah, I obviously went a little bit of a different direction. Would not surprise me at all if the Giants went with an offensive tackle, Mekhi Becton. I think, you know, when if we were to be able to post-draft, see the draft boards of all 32 teams in the NFL, there's a there's a chance that four tackles would all be the number one tackle on various boards. And I think when we go through this exercise, I have no idea if Becton's going to be the first tackle or Wirfs the second or Wills, you know, Thomas, however it's going to go. We'll find that out on draft night. But directionally speaking, I think for them, it could be a tackle. I also think that, you know, Isaiah Simmons is a guy that now people are talking more and more about as maybe being a hybrid Mike linebacker in the NFL. And, you know, Gettleman would certainly know what Luke Keekley meant to a defense down there in Carolina and to get just, I think the most dynamic playmaker in this draft on the defensive side of the ball in Simmons would be something that they would be very interested in, uh, in this, you know, it's a hybrid league. And by the way, they know if they want to win their division, obviously the Cowboys are a good team, but the team that's been the class of that division recently are the Eagles. And you need to have guys on your team that can match up with not only Zach Ertz, but Zach Ertz and Dallas Godert when they go to those two tight end sets that really were the staple of their offense last year. Uh, so Zagura did have Isaiah Simmons going right. at number four. So we talked with our esteemed producer beforehand, Jeff McDaniel. And Jeff said, hey, I'm building out the graphics for everything. What position am I putting Simmons at? Gribbs, you're, you're, you're sure it's going to be linebacker. Yeah, I just think that especially if he's going to go that high in the draft, I think the team that's going to draft him that high is going to put him at linebacker. That's just uh, that's just the, the gut feeling I have with him. But he's going to be moved all over the field, no matter where he, where he is traditionally lined up at. But I think if you're taking him at number four, I imagine you're putting him at linebacker. All right, at pick number five, we move along here. The Miami Dolphins on the clock, and it's a unanimous one. For the Dolphins, Tua Tagovailoa. I don't know if I've said that right yet. We're Maybe still a month off the grip. Bailola. Bailola. Yes. Whatever you said. That's yes. right. Tua. <laughs> Tua, as Jeff said, Jeff McDaniel said before we got started on things. Tua goes pick number five. Odds are he will be gone before pick number five. I think we can all agree, Nathan, that the market for him is going to be something to the effect of trying to move up to three, trying to move up to four, maybe even pick number two to go get uh, a guy like Tua. So the thing that I find interesting about this and with the way that free agency, free agency has shaken out and we've seen this quarterback carousel spin, I don't know. I really don't know that there is that much of a market because if, you know, last year we came out of the combine and, and what turned out to be the worst kept secret of the combine was that the Giants were in love with Daniel Jones. And sure enough, you come to draft day, the Giants last year draft Daniel Jones. I thought this year's version of that was that the Chargers love Justin Herbert are just in, in love with him. They want him. So who's who's moving 
for Tua. Who's coming up that would want to get ahead of the Miami Dolphins for Tua? And, you know, Indianapolis has Rivers, but they got rid of their first-round pick, which would have been 13. They would have been a team that you thought maybe could have tried to make a move up. But, you know, you look at it, who's going to do it? The, the Panthers are committed to Teddy Bridgewater. You've got the Cardinals have Kyler. The Jags would be the one team I would think, but they seem totally content to roll out Gardner Minshew and tank for Trevor. I mean, it seems to me that's their plan. So I don't know who that other team is. And if you're to believe all the people coming out of Denver, Ben Albright, when we had him on our show, they're happy with Drew Locke there. They're not looking to draft a quarterback early. So Gribbs, I would ask you, who's the team that's going to make that move to jump into, you know, above number five to go ahead of the Chargers or the Dolphins, or if it is the Chargers? Yeah, I, I don't think I have an answer to that. And I, I think that that to me is like thinking that I, I've, keep, I, I've kept putting to it in this spot that I think he's going to go to the Dolphins, but I, I'm just, I'm already like pre backpedaling from this pick because if there's one player that I could see falling out of the top 10, it might be Tua because let's go back in our own personal history and remember all of the things that the Browns did in their examination of the quarterbacks before going into the 2018 draft. You bring them all to the building. You have them there all day. You have them going over the whiteboard. You have them just doing everything. You've done months of meetings talking about all these quarterbacks. And on top of that, you did a lot of medical checks. And that is the big one that the the Dolphins are not really going to have. And they're they're really, this whole pre-draft experience is a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And they're going to go into this pick. If they make this pick with Tua, I just wonder how good they're going to feel about it. Like how, how assured they're going to feel about it because of the injury. And I, that's why I could see it happening. I'm just not ready to put it on paper yet that it's going to happen. But I, I just, I, there, there, there was just so much process that went into the Browns taking Baker Mayfield in 2018, that this whole process has been thrown off. And I, I do wonder, and the, all you, all you know about too is like how amazing of a person he is. He's not getting the same opportunity to go in those buildings and wow every single member of that organization. I mean, so it, it's just going to be so interesting to, to see. And and we talked about the draft starting at three. I mean, to me, the draft starts where wherever Tua gets picked because that I, I'm fascinated by that. Even though at this point, I would still pick the Dolphins to take it. Maybe it's a good thing there's not a green room this year. I think he's going to go for, I think, I think they'll take him. And if he starts falling, it would be so Belichick to just jump up there and grab him. And then he ends up being great. And they go from great. Let me me stress this. He is incredibly good. And if he was healthy, we would be talking about Joe Burrow versus Tua right now. But the the health thing is there's been, there's been lesser injuries that have spooked teams about players before. I think if the the Dolphins having three ones makes them feel that even if one of their ones is a red shirt, they still got two ones this year, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that I still think that he goes five. We'll see. All right. We move on to pick number six, the chargers. And again, uh, we're all in consensus. Uh, it's Justin Herbert, the quarterback out of Oregon. Um, here's a guy that, I mean, it would, would it surprise you Gribble if Miami took Herbert over to him? Uh, it wouldn't, but I, I think that would be even more of a risk because that they're still not going through the same pre-draft process that they're usually going through with, with getting all these quarterbacks. And I'll, I'll mention another storyline that is probably lost it, to everything in, that's going on before the draft is I feel like we've we're missing out on at least three days of Jordan Love buzz that we would have been getting had this been a normal draft season. I, I think that all the all the networks would have been at Utah State's pro day for the first time 
uh, ever. And then we would have gotten all the thoughts of does Jordan Love go number five? You know, does does he get that high in the draft? But I, I'm just not ready to go there yet. And I think that Herbert was a really good player. And the Chargers need a quarterback more than any team in the league right now. So they better be taking one. You know, what's interesting for me going through this was how difficult the time I had placing Jordan Love. And I believe in my first version of this, he was a top 10 pick because there was all that hype coming out of the combine about him. And you had more quarterback needy teams, obviously, before free agency and all the movement around. Uh, and I thought that, you know, maybe a team like Carolina could do it or Jacksonville could do it. But Jacksonville seems completely committed to going with Gardner Minshew. So I had a tough time placing him just anywhere in the top 32 and I've seen some recent mocks from the, you know, the experts and the analysts where he's fallen now completely out of the first round, which is a stunning development from what it was before. And I ended up putting him in the first round, I think, at number 23 to the Patriots. But I have no idea if that's a fit for them or if that's what they were looking for. But this is a guy that, you know, coming out of the combine was considered a top 10 guy, guy who absolutely would wow in a pro day setting because of his unbelievable athleticism and probably would end up with a lot of what I would call Josh Allen level hype coming out of that. And instead, now you wonder what just the way that the quarterback landscape is, where's he going to go? And I think that's a fascinating development that's happened without any football being played and, and kind of because there are no made for TV spectacles to showcase these guys going forward. Yeah, there, there's no throwing against a broom this year. Right, yeah, protest. no broom chasing. Yeah, no broom chasing whatsoever. All right, we move on to pick number seven, the Carolina Panthers on the clock. Team with a lot of needs, maybe not handled things the best way with some of these guys leaving the building here recently, uh, especially with Cam Newton. I'm not sure they handled their business well in terms of that. At pick number seven, a lot of needs. It definitely appears from all three of us, they go defense. However, Zagura at pick number seven, you have the Panthers going defensive tackle, Derek Brown out of Auburn. What was the thought process on that? Well, I thought he was probably at this point with Akuda and Simmons, both gone, the best player on the board. Uh, and, and so I think they're looking and, and rule is looking to bring in good players. He's a guy that can become a disruptive pass rusher from the interior. Uh, that's a Carolina, you know, and, and obviously an older regime though, that was built on being tough up front in the middle of that defense. And they've lost Luke Keekley from the middle of that defense. And so bringing in somebody obviously at another level closer to the quarterback on the front, I think would be a good thing. It was just a matter of at this point, he was the best guy there. Uh, they don't need a receiver. I was thinking receiver potentially uh, to help Teddy Bridgewater out. But now that they have assigned Robbie Anderson, they're going to have Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. They're good there. Um, there isn't a tight end in this draft that's worthy of going to this spot. So I figured let's just give them the best player available on defense. And that's what I did. Gribbs, if there's another position that you could see Carolina addressing on uh, night one at pick number seven, which one would it be? I mean, they're, they're clearly not trying to win this year. So I think any position is one that they could address. I think they're going to just try to take the best player. And I think that that's why I have Isaiah Simmons going to them. Cause I think they just, they just need good players. And I, I think that they're, they're playing for 2021 and beyond. And I, I think that you just need foundational cornerstone players. And I think Simmons's upside is just so huge that if he falls to that point, they would, run to the podium I think to get him if I had a tackle going four like you guys did and Simmons not going to the Lions but now that with Slag on it seems to make sense that they would go with Akuda. but I, I would have done the same thing I think it, Isaiah Simmons would have been the pick there especially losing Keekly and knowing that they want to get a playmaker in the middle of that defense 
Uh, are the Panthers, in your opinion, possibly open for business in terms of moving down? If someone wants to move up to go get Isaiah Simmons, I mean, I think sure, they would probably sure. take him. Gribbs, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're they're, they're rebuilding, so any any type of asset acquisition is always on the table. Segura. Yeah, I think if Simmons was there, I think that they would think he is that prodigious of a talent, but I think they will be open and you have to wonder who's willing to move up and for what, you know, does somebody want to get in front of the Browns for a tackle uh, and get in front of the Cardinals? Because I think it's likely now that the Arizona Cardinals take a tackle as well. It's tough to see because there's so many receivers. I don't know that somebody would move up for one of these great receivers and you're through really if Simmons is on the board there, he's the last I think what we would all consider great player or great potential prospect in this draft, Brown would be the next one on the list. So, yeah, somebody could move up. I, I don't know who it would be, but certainly somebody could do it. Maybe the Jets will want to do it. Maybe the Jets want to get Isaiah Simmons and give him to a Greg and, and see what he can do in that defense. All right, we move on to pick number eight, the Arizona Cardinals. For the longest time, I think there was a big there was a thought that wide receiver would make yep. the most sense here. Clearly, they've addressed that problem, thanks to Houston and Bill O'Brien. We got them all going offensive line. Uh, Zagura, you have them taking Becton. Wills, Gribble, you have them taking Wills, and I have them taking Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. Gribble, we'll start with you. The thought uh, of Wills going to Arizona. I think he's the best tackle in the draft. And I think for them, they just re-signed DJ Humphreys, who is a left tackle, but probably could play right. And then Wills has all of his experience at right tackle, but could play left. So you just get someone that fits the best. And I think Wills makes them better on offense. If you're the Cardinals, just go all in on offense, protect your quarterback, become this proficient, huge offensive team. And I just think that that would be the, one of the last pieces they need to really get it going. Nathan, uh, the reasoning and the thought into Becton being your top tackle off the board. Just he's massive. And I think of Cliff Kingsbury and I think of the fact that they've run four receivers a lot, which means you need your five guys to occupy a lot of space. And I decided you put him on an island and he's a massive man. And it just gives Kyler Murray, you know, a big guy in front of him to help protect him. Again, like I said earlier, and I truly believe this, I think if you got all 32 teams draft boards, there would be at four tackles listed number one on various teams boards. So I have no clue what it's going to go or how it's going to go. I think it's pretty safe to say right now, though, that you can probably pencil the Cardinals in for an offensive tackle at pick eight. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Things have changed now the free agency or the first week of free agencies uh, in the rearview mirror. Tackle is a big, big need. You got to keep Kyler Murray upright if you're the Arizona Cardinals. All right, at pick number nine, Jacksonville is on the clock. Gribbs, we'll start with you. At pick number nine, you have the third tackle in the draft going off the board at Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. Explain yourself. Well, maybe it's just because I'm trying to deploy the reverse jinx here because I think like this would be the worst case scenario, I think, for the Browns because we don't know what the ranking of the Browns tackles is and it could work out that the guy that they want falls to them at number 10, but the Jaguars taking a tackle here would make it three tackles off the board uh, in the first nine picks. And that, that could limit your options. Maybe the fourth one around that, that falls to you is not someone who fits in what you want to do on offense. We don't know that yet. So 
Uh, I think the Jags, though, would probably go after a Werfs because he he's just probably the best all-around offensive lineman. I think they he could play tackle, he could play guard, he could play anything like that. And I think for the Jags, I mean, they just weren't very good at all on offense last year. So he would be the best offensive player to help them out and uh, would protect Gardner Minshew or whoever they end up putting back there. None of us have any confidence whatsoever that a year from now Minshew is their starting quarterback. Seen that movie. He's not. No. <laughs> The girl at pick number nine. This is one I have not seen. You have the Jaguars taking a wide receiver, Jerry Judy, the first one off the board from Alabama. Your thoughts as to why? You know, uh, you look at their roster. DJ Chark had a great season last year. I, I think it's just a matter of this is an all-time wide receiver draft. So let's get an asset that's going to be here for a long time for our future quarterback. And that's really the way that I thought about it. I, I thought that it's not, you know, it's a guy that can give them a little excitement. As Grib said, they weren't good on offense. They weren't explosive. They didn't scare anybody. One way to help Leonard Fournette and create space for him is giving guys on the outside that teams have to worry about. And I think a combination of Jerry Judy and DJ Chark would be pretty good for that team. They still have D.D. Westbrook, who didn't really have a very good year last year, but maybe that's the direction they go. And it's just, it was to me again, let's just get the most explosive athlete on the board. Let's get the most explosive player on the board. And in this case, uh, it would be Jerry Judy. I could also see them, though, if they moved on from Yannick Ngakwe after, you know, franchise hagging him and maybe trading him, that maybe this is somewhere that uh, Chase on comes into play, the edge rusher from LSU. But at the same time, He's a guy whose stock seems to, if you kind of read between the lines and pay attention to the people that, you know, talk to people in the NFL, he was a guy that was in some of the top tens in the mocks. And I think he's kind of fallen precipitously in some of these more recent mocks out of the top 10 and out of that range. So it was a matter of, A, I didn't want him to take an offensive lineman so that we could have more of a pick. And B, I thought that maybe they would be doing their future quarterback a solid. So after they tank and get Trevor Lawrence, perhaps he's got built in wide receivers ready to go. Uh, and you got to sell something to that fan base. Right. I mean, they're not exactly lighting things up from a ticket sale standpoint there. Being a fun offense is always better than being an ugly offense. And you go back to even some of those Lions teams that were terrible, but they had Calvin Johnson. They could throw it around or even back to the Barry Sanders days. Being a, It's always better to be a fun offense. And, and I think Jerry Judy at least brings some excitement. And maybe they like rugs. Maybe they like C.D. Lamb. I don't know. But I just went with a receiver there for him for that reason, that it would at least be somewhat exciting. I went with Derek Brown simply because I want two offensive linemen on the board for the Browns to pick from at pick number 10. Uh, and I mean, they need a lot of defensive help. They've lost a lot of guys, got to start somewhere. So why not start with one of the best defensive linemen in the draft in Derek Brown? All right. So we've gone through the top nine. It is now time for the Browns pick at pick number 10. Cue the ESPN chimes and coming to the podium the commissioner to make the pick what I'm going to do. I need pick number 10 from each one of you and pick number 41 from each one of you gribble. We will start with yours first. Again, this is our mock draft 2.0. You can read our entire mock draft at clevelandbrowns.com. Each one of us posted uh, the entire first round should be interesting. Look forward to getting made fun of. And then we also had our first pick of the second round gribble. At pick number 10, you have the Browns taking Andrew Thomas, the tackle out of Georgia. Let's start with that. Obviously, the position of need and the Browns getting one of those four main offensive tackles in this draft. Yeah, and I think it's I think it could still be a really good fit for the Browns. I mean, this is the guy who 
if you're looking at these four offensive tackles that have that we're picking in the first round or in the top 10, he's had the best college career. I mean, he's been the best performing tackle on one of the best teams and one of the best offenses in college football. I think he's a really good prototypical left tackle, has been recognized as a talented player ever since high school, as a five-star recruit. So I think his game has been picked apart a lot, and I think all of these tackles have been picked apart a lot. I think he's been picked apart the most because he had the best college career to this point. And I, I think that uh, he could still be a very good fit in any other, in, in the last maybe four or five drafts, he would be easily the number one tackle off the board. So I think this is a good spot for the Browns and, and we'll see just it, it, like Nathan said, I think every building is different. Every, every team has these guys ranked differently. And with the moves we've seen made by Kevin Stefanski and, and Andrew Barry, they, they have a specific skill set they're looking from all these guys. So it, it really is going to depend on that. Well, and I think you take a look at it in your mock draft. It's the fourth tackle off the board. It's, it's literally what, if you're the Browns, you hope is the worst case scenario. And the fact that there's still one tackle on the board out of the big four. Yeah. And then if, if, if the fourth guy isn't your guy, then you might move back because then I imagine that there's, I imagine there's a couple of these tackles that we're not talking about that the Browns like a lot more than, than, and, and other teams like a lot more than, than we even realize right now, like guys like a Josh Jones, Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, those guys could be ranked way higher inside buildings than they are on, you know, mock draft roundups on clevelandbrowns.com right now. Good point. However, I might disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, at pick number 41 in the second round, uh, you've got the edge out of Alabama, Terrell Lewis, uh, a pretty solid football player who had a pretty good career and a position of need for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and it, that's that's what played into it. My logic with that, I think the pass rusher, even after free agency, and obviously free agency isn't done yet. Maybe you could add some more players at that position moving forward. But I, I think that it's a mix of need with pass rusher. I also like the the belief in skill sets and traits. And I think Terrell Lewis had he stayed healthy in college would have been easily a first round pick, but he missed a lot of multiple seasons in college, but he had a strong 2019 season. So the big question mark on him is injuries. Can he stay healthy? But when he's healthy, he has all of the skill sets, traits, athleticism that you want out of that pass rusher position that, that could be intriguing to Andrew Barry, especially potentially getting a value pick in the second round with him. All right, Zagur, we move on to your mock at pick number 10. We'll start there. Tristan Wirfs, uh, yeah, only a, the second tackle off of your board, uh, and he, the Iowa offensive tackle to the Browns at pick number 10. Yeah, he wowed at the combine, unbelievable athlete, and one of the things you're looking for in this wide zone scheme is a, a big-time athlete, and I think Tristan Wirfs proved that at the combine. Do I think we will be picking a 10, getting the second tackle? Possibly. Could it be the fourth tackle? Possibly. Could it be the third tackle? Possibly. I think it's going to be somewhere in that range. At least one will go and many, as many as three will go before. And like I said, at the combine, we talked to a lot of people who know offensive lines very well and got strong cases for all four of those guys to be the top guys. And as Gribbs mentioned later on, somebody told me Austin Jackson is the best pure wide zone tackle in this draft. So there are a lot of varying opinions here, but I have the Browns going with Wirfs. Again, it's going to be up to Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski and that board that they've put together. And hopefully 
the Browns are able to get the guy they consider to be the top tackle in this draft when they pick at 10. I think you look at everything that's been done on the offensive side of the ball and there's really one piece left and that is left tackle. I know that the organization feels a lot better about right guard than maybe the outside does uh, in terms of Wyatt Teller and Drew Forbes and I think Bill Callahan thinks he can he can mold them into darn good right guards. So that's really the last piece. You've got your two receivers. You've got your two tight ends. You got your two backs. You got your fullback. You got your quarterback. You got your left guard. You got your center. You got your right guard. You got your right tackle. That's it. Left tackle. And then all of a sudden, this thing is complete. Yeah. And pick number 41, your guy, you're staying on the train, buddy. The Grossmatos. Yes. From the Grossmatos. I am hoping that he's there. I think that it's possible he will go as early as the first round just to make that clear. But he's a guy that the Browns could benefit from everything that's happened. Wasn't able to, to run at the combine. Pro days, as we know, are no more. And so maybe teams are a little bit, you know, skeptical about his athletic ability. I think he would have tested off the charts. And I think the Browns have an opportunity to get a real steal there. And I think defensively, you know, you mentioned Gribbs in free agency. We haven't addressed defensive end. There still is the notion of Olivier Vernon at fifteen and a half million dollars. And do are the Browns? Do they want to pay that? That could be end up freed up cap space that could go somewhere else if they decide. You know, take a, a defensive end in the second round to get a long term. You know, running buddy for Miles Garrett. So I think we saw last year the defensive end and depth is critically important. I think Chad Thomas, you know, has yet to be what maybe the team thought he would be when they drafted him early in the third round. I think he's got some flashes as a rotational guy, but what you need is that bookend defensive end. And I think it's no coincidence that Gribbs and I both went D end here because if you had to go through the season with the safeties that you have in the room right now, I think you could. Andrew Sandejo is a very good veteran who's been around the league, certainly familiar with our staff. Uh, Carl Joseph, I think is a guy who could end up being a real steal first round talent. If he can stay healthy, Redwine showed enough last year that you feel good about him as your kind of third safety uh, and then JT Hassel. So maybe you had one more person in that room, but the biggest need to me right now on defense outside of getting a big time linebacker or at least a veteran linebacker in there is to get that edge of the future alongside Miles Garrett. And so that's why I use some pretty important draft real estate here to do just that. All right. At pick number 10, I had Andrew Thomas uh, again, just, taking a look at the tackle situation. He's the third guy off the board. And I felt like as much as I like Wills, the whole transition, right tackle, left tackle, I think he can make it. I don't think it'll be a problem. I'm probably overthinking it, but I like Andrew Thomas blocking for his college buddy, uh, you know, in our backfield. Kind of like that little combination. At pick 41, I bucked the trend. I know we need an edge rusher. I know we need a linebacker. I had like three or four guys picked out. I don't think any of them are going to be there by the time we pick at 41, including this guy. But I had to pick somebody, so I went with Antoine Winfield Jr., the safety out of Minnesota. I think that we do need a couple guys back there to help out and, and be ready to go in case one of these one-year contracts doesn't play out. And then you're back to square one of trying to fill the void. you got to start paying guys. Why not have a guy on a rookie contract ready to slide right in after a year of development? And that's where I think Winfield Jr. can come in and be a player for you. 
I also think, and Gribbs and Gibbs, let me know what you guys think. I think if whoever we, if we pick somebody at 41, I think the, the plan is going to be for them to start. I mean, I, I don't think we're the kind of roster right now where we're going to pick somebody at 41 to sit. So I was looking at the easiest path, but I think you could certainly make the case that if there's a safety they love there, that they would turn, you know, Sendejo into that third safety and say, well, here's a veteran here. He's going to help in, in, teach the defense, but he can play both free and strong. He's the third. We've got red wine, and now your safety room feels real good. I, I have no problem at all with the safety there, but I think pick 41 is somebody that is going to be drafted to play, I would think. Yeah, I mean, the Browns got Greedy Williams a few picks later last year, and he was plug-and-play right away. So you, you know the talent that you can get at that spot. The, the reason why I went away from safety, it was just – I feel like I've been through enough free agency classes over and over again, where it just seems like there's always safeties. They're, they're always available seemingly in free agency. You saw what the Browns did adding a couple of them here. Uh, there aren't always pass rushers. And when there are pass rushers, they end up either going for a ton of money or sitting on the market for a long time because they need a ton of money. So I, I think that uh, it's, if you can get uh, a, one of these valuable positions at, at 41, you, you jump on it. I would think that the position of need up there with pass rush is probably still linebacker, but just not a player that really makes sense at that spot in the draft. All right, before we wrap up here, and again, you can check out all our complete mock draft 2.0 first round, picks one through 32 online at clevelandbrowns.com. What was the biggest challenge in putting together mock draft 2.0? Gribbs, we'll start with you. Uh, I would just say figuring out the, I just have no idea what the lines are going to do. And I think I, I made a compelling case for Jeff Okuda, but I mean, I could see them drafting uh, five different players at that spot. And I think that that all of that comes down to how it's going to affect the Browns at, at number 10. And I think if we're trying to get really crazy here, I think Okuda and um, Isaiah Simmons are the two players that I would see the Browns taking if they're available over an offensive tackle. Those are the two guys out there that I would think that where you really have to start questioning, are we getting the best available player if we're taking an offensive tackle? The girl? I think the hardest part for me was now with all this crazy quarterback carousel spinning, as I said earlier, was trying to find a place for Jordan Love and trying to get him into the first round, trying to figure out, you know, with the Niners, with that trade, losing Emmanuel Sanders, did they want to fill the, the defensive tackle role at 13 because the receiver is so deep, or did they want to take a receiver at 13 and then take the defensive tackle later on where maybe it makes more sense? And I ultimately went with them taking Henry Ruggs uh, at 13. And you think about adding him into that offense would be uh, pretty spectacular. So, yeah, for me, it was really just Jordan Love, a guy that, you know, we were trying to talk ourselves into the top nine picks to push some more talent to us. And now it's how do we find a spot for him in the first round, who's the team that's going to bite? And even thinking through theoretical trades, you know, who's a team that's willing to move up for Tua? And I, I, it was hard to come up with one. And then the Gribbs and I, we talked about that earlier. It, it just seems with so many unknowns and the way it's all going that you can look at teams on paper and say, okay, these are the needs. These are the directions they'll probably go. But even I think there's going to be more variance on draft boards across the league than ever before because of the limited information, the limited interaction. Yes, they get to do a video conference, I think, like this for the 30 visits, but it's not the same. And the whole process is going to be a little different. And I wonder, at Gribbs, you made a point about, you know, Andrew Thomas being the best, most productive in college, so probably has the best college tape. And I wonder if this is going to be one of those drafts where teams rely a heck of a lot more on the tape than maybe some of the other things in the past. And it'll be curious to see what the results are and see if that's a trend that get people back to 
Why do we change our ranking so much from when football stops being played to when the draft comes? Well, and as we tape today, there are three quarterbacks that should be starting in the NFL that are free agents right now. With, yeah. Or, or, I mean, in Dal- I don't know if Dalton is technically a free agent, but he's going to, he's, he's available. He's not going to be available. So right. it's, it's, it's Andy Dalton, Cam Newton, and Jameis Winston. I mean, those guys are available. And I, if, if I was the chargers, I, I would, I don't know how much they love Justin Herbert, but you want to sell tickets. Let's bring Cam to town and let, let's just try it for a year and just see, see what happens. I mean, it's I just, the same thing the ne- Colts did. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I would, I would give it a shot. I would, I would trust all three of those quarterbacks over a Justin Herbert right now at number six. Are we really going to believe that the new England Patriots are going to go into this season with Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer? Are we really, is that, is that really the situation that we're going to believe is going to happen here? I can tell you who's not going there though. And it's Jameis Winston. So I, no. I'm narrowing it down to, to Cam, Cam or Dalton. Dalton makes a lot yeah, of sense think- in terms of similar style, at least to Brady. You dismissing Hoyer? In the competition here? I'm not saying dismissing him in the competition. The guy's 1-11 yeah, in his last is. 12 games as a starter. I just don't think that that's if you're trying to do Patriot type of things, that quarterback room doesn't scream, we're trying to win the AFC East again. Yeah, but I think we can all agree that tanking is not in Bill Belichick's vocabulary, nor is it in anybody's vocabulary no. inside that building. But that's why it's so interesting to see. And that's why I can't believe that they actually will go into the season with those quarterbacks. I mean, Andy I, Dalton seems I to make a lot of sense. If they get Andy Dalton, I'm still picking him to win the division right now. Like I think sure. that, that, that would be my pick to win the division right now. If they get Andy Dalton. Are you yeah, warming up to Brady with the Buccaneers, though? Yeah, the first time we talked about it, you didn't, you weren't, you weren't too sold on still it. Are you warming up a little bit, Grims? Come on! I just, I, I wouldn't pick them to make the playoffs today. I just, I just don't think they're making the playoffs. Wow! Even with seven teams, wow! No, they're not making the playoffs. I love it. Wow! That is fantastic. Grims ending stuff the way he ended last week. Fantastic. Fire. <laughs> fire nuking things gribs let's put i have gibbs owes me two separate taco bell dinners so i'm willing to to put one of my extra taco bell dinners on the line right now buccaneers making the playoffs in 2020 what say you i mean i i need to have like a i need to have a a playoff team that i think is going to make the playoffs that you don't think is going to make playoffs then this is just about the buccaneers we don't need to bring more people in. let's not muddy the waters that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll stand by that then. I'll okay. All that. right. Careful. Segura eats an enormous amount of food, as we both know, Gribble. Yeah, Careful. I'm good at that. All right. Mock draft 2.0 is in the book. He is confident. 2.0 is in the book. You've heard our top 10 picks and the Browns pick at number 41. For the rest, log on to clevelandbrowns.com. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com as well for this podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe today to the best podcast available. For Andrew Gribble, for Nathan Zagura. Thanks to Jeff McDaniel. Thanks to Paul Taylor. Zagura needs to go it's Taco away. Tuesday. We're taping this on a Taco Tuesday. No coincidence, Gibbe. Not coincidence. I, I know. I know. My Taco Day is on Thursday. All right. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available.